I do my best work in the morning, to be completely honest. I wake up like Snow White and all of my dwarves, you know, singing to the, the woodland animals and whatnot. I love it. Unless I've had like four margaritas the night before, which I did. And so here we are. <laughs> I feel I feel God in this chilies tonight. All right, let's clap. This is Chapel Bell Curve. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we're here to talk about the upcoming tilt between your national championship, defending national champions, University of Georgia Bulldogs, and a most duck-like of all college football teams, the Oregon University Ducks. So if this is your first time joining us, this is a preview episode. You're going to hear a qualitative preview where we talk about thoughts and feelings and poetry and we lay in the fields with our pan pipes and we play them and we write romantic poems and talk about our loves lost and stuff and then you're going to hear a quantitative preview which is going to be robots and cogs and steams it's going to be like the scene from metropolis where the guy is like moving the machine back and forth until he dies and then we're going to give some what things we'd like to see and we're going to make some predictions so justin Mm -hmm. how are you doing today I'm doing all right. You know, we're recording this in the morning after the first day of college football this year, which is very exciting. There was a lot of football that happened yesterday, if you could call what we watched football. I'm doing okay, though. You know, I've got some, not currently, you know, I'm still processing the margaritas in my belly. I had them yesterday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm feeling myself. As one is. I'm moisturated, as Uh we have put it in the past. And yeah, I've just been working on getting my mind right, you know. Hydrated. How's your mind? Where's it at? It is good. I... I see that you have a little, you have a, a segment to start us off here. I do. I am, I am incredibly well moisturated. I'm incredibly hydrated. So moisturated. I do want to say before we get into the fan fiction portion of this podcast, and I wish that was a joke, but it's not. <laughs> before we get into that, I want to just briefly give a plug for our Patreon. If you really like what you hear today and you would like to join up, you can go to patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. And for as little as $1 a month, you can sign up for our Patreon, which will give you access to our Discord. We currently have a few of our patrons listening to this live. They get early access to all this good, good stuff. If you pay a little bit more, you can get your own personal Patreon feed where we we don't cut out all the bad stuff. And you also will get the episodes early if you pay at least $3 a month. And for $5 a month, you get access to our note sheets, which I have to say are works of art. They are just beautiful, beautiful. perfect realizations of my vision as a high school teacher of how things should be organized on Google Docs. So that'd be good (laughs) if you are interested in that kind of thing. And if you pay, I think $50 just gets you a segment on the show every week. Yeah, you get to say whatever you want. You get to say whatever you can come on and just give your insane manifesto for $50 a month. We would love mm-hmm. if you came out and joined us. We think we have a really good Discord community, uh, lots of fun folks. We think that if you like this podcast, you're going to like the people who are on our Discord. Also, one last little plug. You know, if you want to advertise with us, if you own a small business, especially in the Athens area, and you would like a uh, a little advertising boost, we'd love to have ads as well. So just hit us up. Yeah, hit us with them. D- DM us on the Twitter. Back up that money truck. Back up that money truck. We will sell out. We will... Always. We will give ads for anything that is not kind of fascist. We have no dignity. Yeah. So let's start the actual episode. Run this podcast into a ditch, Justin. <laughs> you ready for it? No. Yeah. This is what I love that you 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 started the Patreon plug by saying, if you like what you're about to hear, <laughs> and then kicking it back to me to uh to share this this monstrosity. So this morning, you know, I was working on getting my mind right. I was thinking about football, as one does right before the season starts. And I started just kind of searching through the internet, scouring it, and and looking for any good, obscure duck content. And what I eventually came across in my my journey was a fanfic generator. It's an AI-generating fanfic machine that just spits out fanfic. You put in a few things, and it gives you what what you want. Um, And so to get our collective minds right, I'm going to read an excerpt from the story that this, this AI fanfic machine has created for us. It's called... Escape from Athens. Mm. Are you ready? No, in no way am I ready (laughs) at all. But I mean, I guess it's happening. (laughs) All right. I'm going to get all our minds right right now. Here goes. All right. Escape from Athens. Ugo woke up next to the beautiful chapel bell curve. Earlier that week, he found out he was gay. The duck is back. My spider sense is tingling. If he is back, then he must be a zombie. Good thinking. Suddenly, Stetson Bennett came in quickly. The duck is back. He has killed Nathan and Justin. 
<laughs> oh, bugger, said Ugga. The scream was heard for hundreds of miles, echoing into the sadness of the black, dark nighttime air and the atmosphere. He is trying to enslave the University of Georgia. You must know one thing, one vital, important fact that will be his fatal weakness. You must know this, okay? Pay careful attention and take notes, for if you fail to listen, the consequences will be terrible. Listen well to my word. This is his Achilles' heel. In order to defeat the duck, you must... You must... You must... At that moment, Stetson dropped dead on the floor, the poison he was secretly given the day before finally killing him. No! Said our hero. No! <laughs> he repeated in an upset tone of voice. He was my friend! I am very upset! There, there, Ugga. The beautiful chapel bell curve patted Ugga on the back. Thanks, that's better. Look, he has something in his hand! Inside was a secret encrypted coded note. The pineapple will destroy the tree as the rolled up paper of evil returns. And that's where I'll leave us off, because that is a great cliffhanger. There's so much more story, but I think that puts us right where we need to be. How do you feel after that? What's going through your head? I am now convinced that... I, I, I am literally speechless. <laughs> you know what's even more wild is that later on there's a sex scene, but I won't read that to you because it's still morning, and we all know that sex only occurs in the dark time. You know, as my friend, <laughs> how, uh, how, how rarely I am at a loss for words. And I, today, am at a loss for words. I do not, I do not know, <laughs> I do not know what to say. The pineapple? How did they pull in the pineapple thing? <laughs> it's a twist, you know, an M. Night Shyamalan twist of sorts. So Yeah, I know. I mean, I, f I feel very ready for this this preview. Good. I'm so glad. Just like our, just like Ugga and Chapel Bell, the beautiful Chapel Bell Curve's bodies, ours are ready as well. I felt God in this discord today, this morning. Yeah, let's talk about football then. Let's dig right into it. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, as though we can, you know what? Good news is the episode can only go up from there. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I said, That's there true. is a sex scene later in this. That's true. So. <laughs> Let's see what happens. So, we're going to start today with our qualitative preview. Our In our qualitative preview, we're going to be going over some history of the Oregon Ducks, some trivia, some storylines, talking about players to watch. We'll do a little bit of stuff about starting lineups for UGA and, and give you some insight into players you should be watching out for on Oregon's side of the ball. We'll also be sort of going through the history of the series spoilers there's not much history there then this will just basically be where we get all of our emotions out on the on the floor so justin you want to start us off i would love to yeah and so in the qualitative part of the episode it's kind of just narratives going back and forth about the game any talk uh, leading up to the game itself whether it's about each team specifically or how they overlap in specific ways and there is a lot of overlap between these teams as many of us know you know dan lanning went over to become Daddy Duck last year. And so he is now Daddy Duck, head coach for the Oregon Ducks. And so that is a big piece of the narrative story that's been shared back and forth, especially since there has been a theme of Georgia's defense taking a step back as we, you know, we lost 15 players to the NFL draft last year. So a lot of people are talking all about how Georgia's defense is going to take a step back. And I am so ready for that to be gone. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready for a new, new story that just feels like lazy writing. And I would like something better, bigger, stronger, you know? Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. You know how, like, mm -hmm. sometimes positions are endowed? So the University of Georgia's athletic director is always the J. Reed Parker athletic director, right? Mm -hmm. So is the premise that the head coach of Oregon has been endowed by the Duck mascot and he is now the Daddy Duck head coach of the Oregon Is that Yes. That's his actual official title, huh? Yeah, I'm contractually obligated to call him Daddy Duck, head coach of the Oregon Ducks. The University of Georgia head coach presented by Powerade or whatever. It's the the Allstate Insurance End Zone. <laughs> You're in good hands with Daddy Duck. <laughs> Welcome. I'm Daddy Duck. I'm Dan Lanning, head coach of the Daddy Duck Oregon Ducks. I don't know, actually. I keep on mix. I'm, I'm throwing them all around and being real willy-nilly with the Daddy Duck. Is this how GoDaddy has rebranded? Yes. This is how they're coming out of bankruptcy. <laughs> all right. So let's... Yeah, let's I use Google Chrome. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the last week, the, the week zero yeah. games. I see that you have a couple of notes in here about Vandy. <laughs> I want to know more. You said, or I think someone said in our Discord that the full cast has Vanderbilt as their playoff dark horse. Do you have any information about this? Because Vandy did just spank that Hawaii ass 
playing in a very different time zone. That was the equivalent of the oft-bullied kid at school going away to summer camp and being like, I'm not going to get bullied at summer camp. I'm going to be the bully. And just taking out like yeah. years and years of trauma on some poor kid at summer camp. That was what Vandy did to Hawaii yesterday. I think the joke is that technically Vandy is currently number one in the SEC because they're the only SEC team mm-hmm. who's played. By default, they are for a playoff dark, hor- dark horse. Until next week, until the next time they play, they are a playoff dark horse by definition. Good for them. All those very smart boys. Obviously, I think it's worth noting that we're currently we're coming to, we are recording this on Sunday, August twenty eighth, and yesterday we just watched an, an an incredible performance from the Nebraska Cornhuskers. It was like sure watching did. two Midwestern raccoons attempt to have sex <laughs> in an oil filled dumpster that was lit on fire and somehow fail, but still one of them is now pregnant. It defied all logic and reason. It made me kind of sad for the fans of the team of the dumpster fire filled with fornicating raccoons, but it was deeply hilarious. Scott Frost tried to do an onside kick up 11 points and then didn't score for the rest of the game and lost 31 to 28. If firing can be done by degrees, I would say that he is going to be the most fired, the most fired person in the nation by the end of the year. I think Scott Frost... (laughs) Scott Frost is going to get so pregnant. I mean, so fired. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Anyway. What is happening? (laughs) You started me out with fan fiction today. And so now it's like my, my creative juices are really flowing. Like all of my all my analogies uh, are going to be just totally crazy. Don't say juices. We're not allowed to say juices anymore. We're going to get the we're going to get an R rating by the end of this episode. My goal is to have to mark every episode of this podcast explicit but with as few curse words as possible. <laughs> Someone said ass once, but we're still making this explicit because the depths of depravity that they just need to are so, are so deep. Each week we will take a moment just to kind of look around the league to see if there's anything fun going on. And that it, I would say fun in like lower, you know, lowercase F, <laughs> big <laughs> yeah. quotes for this weekend. But in future weekends, there will be more going on, obviously. And, and games that are going on that are more consequential for our actual season. We'll do that before we get into actual uh, Georgia things, usually. So putting the fun in fundamentally corrupt morally. So, yeah, that's that's a very short little bit of around the league. But to get us back into Georgia and Oregon things, this is the Oregon preview after all. So why not start with more duck facts? This is a very short little bit of information for you, just because I have always wondered myself, you know, going into this game, I was wondering why is Oregon the drippiest college football team. And so I needed to understand. And what I mean by that is they seem to have a different uniform every game. And I know that's not true. That's that's me exaggerating. But it seems that way at times. And so I needed to look it up. Apparently, I didn't know this, the Nike founder who founded Nike with his track coach, who was also from Oregon, went to Oregon, obviously. And then since then have always sponsored Oregon by just giving them everything <laughs> so the football players have so many combinations of uniform you didn't know phil knight was one of oregon's biggest like the no. reason oregon has so much money i didn't know that have you seen oregon's no. look up oregon's football facility it looks like a spaceship i want to see you react i'm sure it does the amount of money put into that program is absolutely crazy oregon's football facility actually was one of the football facilities that started the facility arms race because their indoor Whoa. yeah their indoor practice facility looks like an abandoned one of those olympic stadiums like a star destroyer yeah their facility looks like olympic facilities at in a country that couldn't afford to do the olympics but spent a lot of money on it anyway and is now it's like an old dictator made this facility when we had the olympics here in the (laughs) 80s or whatever like it's just so i mean it's beautiful yeah i I mean and and their their basketball floor is like this crazy redwood design it's so cool they're building another one to be really to be open in 2024 yeah man it's so cool. And from space, it looks like the Oregon O. Oregon's facilities and Oregon's just like general drip is unparalleled, I would say. Yeah. I, I, I sort of low-key, like, I wouldn't say that Oregon is like a second team or anything for me. It's definitely not. But Oregon is like a, a team that I, I sort of respect from afar. You know, the other side of the country. Yeah. Other things I learned about ducks. <laughs> things I know about ducks. I also learned the Oregon duck, the daddy duck himself. The mascot is named Puddles which the student body decided and voted on in like 1920. And it's just been puddles ever since. But one other very interesting overlap into modern uh, media culture is that whenever the duck puddles is drawn or animated in any way, over time, 
started to look more and more like Donald Duck and Disney had some real issues with it. But apparently somewhere along the line, like Walt Disney was also really into Oregon for some reason. In like 1970, when Disney had some issues with it again, they were like, that duck is getting a little too violent for our trademark. Somebody at Oregon, I think I read that it was like the athletic director or their media department produced a photo of Walt Disney in an Oregon letterman's jacket. And they were like, look, he would have wanted this. (laughs) And so (laughs) they just kind of said, it's fine. You can have Donald Duck. And so it's, it's modeled after Donald Duck. The actual, the the mascot, the anthropomorphic duck itself does not look much like Donald Duck, but anytime it's animated does. So there's a little bit of duck facts for all of you. Take that with you. Share it at your tailgates. I am. I want to share my last very... I, have, I, I did have a really positive experience with ducks. I think I've said on the show before that TikTok can tell you a lot about a person. And what I mean by that is your algorithm, like what your timeline is spitting out at you, says a lot about who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Mine specifically gives me a lot of fun stuff, but one of the things it gives me that I love the most is are just like little videos of animals eating things. And so I love, love, love watching animals eat stuff. I think it's hilarious and it really appeals to a very specific part somewhere deep down in me. But we were in Washington state uh, earlier this year and we were sitting there looking at Seattle and like sitting at the bay and there were rowers going through and people on boats. And then at some point I realized as Anna and I were sitting there on a bench eating our like our baked goods that we got from a bakery down the road that there were just like a hundred ducks around us and they were all just eating grass and whatever else you find in grass, I guess. And you can hear their little bills like clapping and just like a chorus of just clapping bills. It was outstanding. And so that is, I, I have a soft spot for ducks, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And so I hope that that does not affect my feelings for this game. But that is all of the qualitative mess and nonsense I'm going to give you for this episode. Um, let's really talk about football. As we said before, we would. We are 22 minutes into this yeah, recording and say, we have not said a single thing. 22.38 into the recording and now we're going to talk about football. And we've already talked about fan yeah. fiction and how on brand. On the episode, I'll put a marker that says qualitative preview and then another marker that says actual football qualitative preview. Hot duck content. Yeah, hot duck content. I did mention earlier the sort of narrative that's been pushed through the, the offseason for Georgia is that Georgia is taking a step back and it has continued. It will most likely continue well into the year unless at some point we have a very deciding performance that shows that that's not the case. And... One person in particular, Desmond Howard, on TV recently, was talking about how he believes Texas A&M is going to win the national championship this year. They'll probably beat us in the SEC championship and that Georgia will have some issues on defense this year, quote unquote. There was an article that said Howard suggested that, quote, six years, 24 year old Stetson Bennett will need to do more to lead the team that he was required of. Than, than what was required of him a season ago because of the imminent defensive drop-off. And I just want to get your thoughts on how you're feeling about the defense so far based on off-season changes, returning production, how fall camp is going. We'll go through like the, you know, the, the defensive depth chart here in a minute as well, just to kind of talk about the strength there. But what, where are your thoughts there so far? I think that there is going to be a defensive drop-off. I think that, however, the reports of the death of this defense have been greatly exaggerated. I think this can still be a top 10 and even top five defense. It still has, I mean, Jalen Carter was the best player on the defense last year and he's still here. You know what I mean? The depth isn't there. Yeah. Certainly you worry about inside linebacker. Xavier Sori has to step up as well, probably, or someone spy on London, whoever the second inside linebacker is other than Jamon Dumas Johnson. Mm-hmm. So you, there's a concern there. I mean, there's also concerns. I mean, not concerns, but you also have to see like, you know, what are we getting from the zero technique? Whether that's, I've heard Zion Logue might be there or whoever is, mm-hmm. whoever is replacing Jordan Davis. So obviously you're not going to probably have a defense that just stops every inside run for zero or no yards, who has an incredible stuff rate and is, you know, historically one of the best sides of the football in the history of college football. But I still think you could have a top 10 defense. So it's like, is he going to have to, is Stetson going to have to do more? Certainly. Right. You know, but I think he might have to do 15 to 20% more. And the tone that Desmond Howard has makes it seem as though he's going to have to do 50% more. And they're never going to ask Stetson Bennett to be, Trevor Lawrence, because that's not who he is. And everybody asking him to be CJ Stroud or, mm-hmm. you know, Bryce Young, because that's not what his game is. So uh, to me, it seems pretty silly. If you want to posit that UGA is vulnerable this year, I think you certainly have evidence to do so. But I wouldn't start with 
Stetson Bennett and the immense returning production he has coming back around him and the immense talent of his skill position threats as well as his offensive line. I, I don't know that I would start there in terms of vulnerabilities for this team. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, but yeah, going through just sort of what we've seen over in the fall camp, we can look at the defensive side of the ball specifically and kind of answer some questions as to who do we think we'll see on the depth chart. You know, the defensive line, we've got Jalen Carter, as you said, is still a defensive tackle. Zion Logue is going to be the nose tackle, most people are thinking, to replace Jordan Davis's spot there. Some great defensive ends. We still have an inside linebacker. We've got Robert Beal Jr. and Nolan Smith, which I am very excited about. Like we're a lot of really great folks are still in these positions, uh, including folks returning to the secondary, which there was a lot of concern there, losing certain people there. But we still have Keely Ringo, Kamari Laster, Christopher Smith, Dan Jackson, like William Poolery. All these folks are still here. And these are all names you're familiar with. William Poole. For William the Poole. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. William Poolery is his... William Poolery is his sort of alter ego when he gets into Regency-era cosplay. <laughs> Sir William Poolery. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in the secondary, certainly with... It seems like Kamari Lasseter has locked down the spot opposite Keely Ringo, which we talked about. That would be a possibility last year. Christopher Smith is not a burner. He is not the most physical safety you'll ever see, but he is absolutely someone who will sacrifice his body. He gets in there. He plays hard. Dan Jackson, while being a walk-on and a white guy, is incredibly fast, like track speed fast. And he's a little bit undersized, but also a guy who will sort of almost, with no regard for his own safety kind of sacrifice himself inside as a safety also interesting in the in the back end you have malachi starks who is a incoming consensus five-star safety he was at jefferson last year he played a lot of quarterback he also played running back and also safety but 6'1 200 pounds legit track speed big dude absolutely could be the next great safety for uga i would not expect to see him very often in the Oregon game, although I have heard that in the dime package he has been playing, he's playing the money position. So the dime package is when you bring in basically your best six defensive backs, and he is one of those six. He plays the ex- basically the extra cornerback slash safety position. So I expect to see mm-hmm. Malachi Starks quite a bit going forward. I think that Keely Ringo is a guy who's proven himself, and so Kamari Lasseter is really going to have to prove himself now this year because I don't think people are going to throw to Keely Ringo's side. He is a lockdown corner. Kamari Lasseter is a guy that has the pedigree, maybe not quite to the extent that Keely Ringo does, but I mean, incoming, you know, he came in as a four star. He was the, I guess, number, he was in the top 20 of all our cornerbacks in the nation, six feet, 185 pounds, like a big cornerback fits sort of the Kirby smart cornerback mold, but he is definitely going to get challenged. I think that any coach until he proves that he is a lockdown corner would challenge him above Keely Ringo. You also have some notes in here on the defensive tackles. Like I said, I think Zion Logue is a very interesting guy. Tyrion Ingram Dawkins and Tremel Wathauer were guys who played the three technique last year as backups, but have been switched over to the defensive end, which is the five technique, which is basically the farthest outside of the guard defensive end on the weak side of the formation i always get it backwards on the three four but whatever and that's like a really that's a really pivotal position in this defense in terms of stopping the run i think that both of those guys are playing slightly out of position one of the interesting things about the defensive line is that zion Logue, Tyrion ingram dockman's tramel wathauer jalen carter these were all blue chip four or five star guys and so you're obviously concerned with replacing Jordan Davis, but the depth of the cupboard that you have is pretty intense. Uh, we're, we're very excited about the running backs. It looks like uh, Kitty McIntosh and Kendall Milton will probably in the, be in those starting positions. Any one of them could be starting at the gate. We're not bringing up quarterbacks just because we're pretty sure we know what's happening. And yeah. we're tired of that narrative as well. So, yeah. <laughs> Oregon significant returning players. Tell me a little bit about this Oregon team, what are some names we're going to expect? Some familiar faces we might see? What do they look like? Obviously, with a new coach, you know, we're, we're going to talk in a second about what they might look like schematically. But with a new coach, it's hard to take too much from last year. But they do have some interesting players returning or new new faces. Noah Sewell is Penny Sewell's brother. He's probably the star of the team. He's a very good linebacker. He had, a, he had 35 more tackles than anyone else on the team last year with 114. He is a heat-seeking missile. I mean, he's one of these linebackers that will just tackle you from anywhere on the field. Coming in via transfer, you have Bo Nix at quarterback. He's back to haunt us again with his (laughs) sometimes good but often mediocre quarterback play. 
I think, L-freaking-O-L about that, that we can never escape him. You have center Alex Forsyth, who was hurt with injury last year, but is an NFL prospect and kind of the center of, ha, literally the center of that offensive line, but also just a very cerebral, important offensive line player. They have some notable new faces at, new and returning faces at their skill positions on offense. Uh, Tyler Ferguson is a really good tight end. I don't know, like a modern sort of can block, but a lot of receiving tight end that is worth looking at. Josh Connolly is a five-star offensive tackle coming in as a freshman this year. I don't know that he is necessarily starting, but this is a team that has talent under Mario Cristobal. They were one of the very few teams in the Pac-12, I guess Pac-10 now, who ever recruited at an SEC-like level. They certainly haven't recruited recently, you know, at the Georgia-Alabama level, but they have had their last several recruiting classes have been you know, something you wouldn't be embarrassed about to see a little bit farther down in the in the SEC. As an example, currently as an example, Oregon is 14th in the nation in football recruiting. Last year, their class ended up at 13th in the nation. So inside of the SEC, that is like respectable. In terms of SEC comp, last year, they were one spot above Kentucky, a spot above Missouri. This year, they are currently in twenty the, the incoming 2023 class, which won't matter for this game. But just to give you sort of a an idea of what their talent is looking like. They're currently one spot above Arkansas at 14th in the nation. They have two five stars currently. This is a a team that recruits at the blue chip level. And while they may not recruit at the Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama level, this is not a team with a bunch of just stereotypically bad Pac-12 players, right? There was a time in the mid-2010s when basically the SEC had an advantage in team speed over pretty much every conference in the nation. And while that is still sometimes true, I think Oregon is one of the teams that shows that it is not a universal truth as it once was. They have some players. This is sort of all a long way of saying that I would caution anyone to expect that this is going to be a game where Georgia can just completely physically dominate the game. I expect Georgia to win this game, but I also think it's silly to think that this is going to be a team that we're playing that is just a bunch of well-developed three stars. This is a team that has some actual Mm. NFL players on it. That 11th ranking is not necessarily a joke by any means. Right, exactly. So let's talk about the head coach, Dan Lanning. Daddy Duck himself. Daddy Duck Dan Lanning. I see that you have some concerns about him killing his father here. You always do, you know. You never want to invite your son back over for Thanksgiving dinner and you go out into the driveway and it's the time that he finally decides he's going to beat you in just a a friendly game of basketball. And so I don't think that's going to happen here. But I'm sure that there are a lot of people kind of questioning what sort of impact Dan Lanning drew away from Georgia by leaving and what our team is going to look like without him there, you know, actually making play calls. And so it's going to be interesting to see the change and how what sort of impact Dan Lanning makes with a very different set of players in the Pacific Northwest. So we'll see what happens. But he's also been saying, which I think is very funny, in classic like Kirby Smart fashion, that he's not going to reveal the QB starter until the day of. Do you think there's any chance that Bo Nix won't be starting? Bo Nix is the only quarterback on their roster who has any serious starter experience right there's some other guys jay butterfield jack van dyme ty thompson's a redshirt freshman and weirdly i think ty thompson is a guy who is even more of a runner than bo Nix is yeah he's a redshirt <laughs> freshman i i don't know i mean i would expect like you don't recruit bo Nix to transfer halfway across the country to not start him i would be shocked if mm-hmm. anyone but bo Nix started i think that there's an argument to be made that and I know this is wild, but Bo Nix is like a steadying presence probably more than any of the other guys, right? And I know that that sounds mm-hmm. weird because the Bo Nix experience is usually like drunk giraffe on roller skates. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe he accidentally <laughs> does some crazy stuff, but also maybe he like runs into the wall or whatever. But I also think if you're starting against what you you personally as Dane Lanning know to be still an incredibly talented Georgia defense headed by one of the better defensive coaches in the country – you want to start the guy who has experience at that level when nobody else on the team has an experience, has as much experience against Georgia as Bo Nix does. I, I would expect that he starts. And speaking of the offensive side of the football, Kenny Dillingham is the new offensive coordinator over there coming from FSU. What do we know about 
Dillingham and sort of what we could glean from his past experiences and, and what we might be able to see based on those experiences. So Dillingham is from the Norvell slash Malzahn tree. I think he was briefly at Auburn before he came to FSU. He is going to rate, he's going to run like sort of a slightly evolved version of the Gus Malzahn offense. There will be a lot of counter. There will be a lot of inside and outside zone. There will be almost certainly because of the inclusion of Bo Nix, there will be a QB run component to the offense. I expect that ultimately you're going to see temperament wise and personality wise, you're going to see sort of the Gus Malzahn thing, which is we're going to run spread power run plays, right? With a lot of pulling guards. And then we're going to throw it deep over the top, right? So shot plays like slot fade, four verts, lots of seam concepts. I think that it's going to attempt to be a sort of version of what you've seen with the Gus Malzahn Auburn teams, where you are not necessarily asking your quarterback to do a lot of intermediate across the middle, typical NFL throws. I know Kenny Dillingham has said that he wants to basically run a pro style offense with tempo. So I expect there to be a lot of tempo. Mm -hmm. I expect that... Anybody who comes off the Gus Malzahn tree, you're going to see sugar huddling, which is where you basically like huddle up close to the line of scrimmage and then pop out of it and then immediately can try to snap the ball. That was a big Gus Malzahn thing. I also think that, you know, you might actually see from the Norvell side of Kenny Dillingham's background a little bit more of the NFL concept, the comeback routes and across the field kind of stuff. But I don't really think that you're going to see some kind of stereotypical West Coast passing concept offense, A, because that's not really Kenny Dillingham's background, and B, because if Kenny Dillingham is any kind of coach, he will have figured out that that's also not Bo Nix's game, right? Bo Nix is Mm -hmm. good when he's improvising. He is good when he has the ball in his hands and he can run around. He is a decent runner, and he can be accurate when he is launching off of a less than ideal arm angle. Right. But if you ask him to just drop back five steps and hit sort of your Tom Brady offense, he's he that's not what he does. Right. So I, I would expect a lot of running. I would expect a lot of wide zone running, some some actual spread running concepts. Right. We think of the spread as being a passing offense, but at its core, Malzahn's offense is about running with power and using the spread to get guys out of the box to run with power. So lots of pulling offensive linemen. And I would suspect that they will run more than they will pass that was not the case last year but Mm -hmm. i think this year that's probably going to be the case so before we get into the quantitative let's just kind of set the stage for what this game has looked like historically for these two teams which is not a whole lot we always draw up on our winsipedia and it kind of looks at the records of both these teams head to head and tells us what we need to know. And so this team is these two teams have only played each other once in the history of the matchup in 1977 and Georgia won 27 to 16. So they are currently holding the longest win streak at one. But by all other metrics, the all-time record, national championships, conference championships, bowl games, wins all time, et cetera, et cetera, Georgia comes out on top and considerably higher than every other Oregon statistic here, which is not to say, again, this is not a bad team. I would say Oregon is a contender in some way each year. I'm not saying a contender for the national championship each year. I'm just saying a contender in some way each year, and it's not a a team to be slept on. And we will reveal why we feel that is the case with our quantitative segment. So yeah, paint me a beautiful story with your numbers, Nathan. Yeah, so what I'm going to attempt to do this year in our quantitative preview is just get a bunch of numbers out there that I think are relevant and then use those numbers to paint you a beautiful word picture. So some of these numbers are going to be things that are more or less relevant or just things that might color your understanding of the game going into it. And some of them might be things that I think are actually very relevant to the outcome of the game. I think that my experience with statistics in terms of watching football is that having little tidbits in the back of your mind about the temperament and abilities of each team increases the pleasure of the viewing experience, at least for me, because when something happens, you have a better idea of why it happened. So starting out, a lot of these numbers are from last year. And so obviously you have to take them with a grain of salt for a couple of reasons. One, any team changes from year to year, but in particular Oregon with the massive turnover in its roster and a complete retooling of its offensive identity and defensive identity is going to be significantly different. However, I think that from last year's numbers, we can still get a sense of where the, where the bread and butter of these teams, right? 
So last year, returning production-wise, Oregon is 62nd in the nation with 65% returning production. UGA is 79th in the nation with 61% returning production. You would think that those would be a wash. In particular, I think that Oregon offensively lost a lot of common household names. Anthony Brown has graduated. They lost a couple of their running backs. They lost a wide receiver or two. In terms of CBCR2, we currently have UGA with the number one ranking in the nation at 25.1 overall points above the average team. We currently have Oregon at 13th in the nation at 11.3 points above the average team. So basically that roughly means that CBCR2 thinks the game score will be 25 to 11 or 25 to 12, probably something like that, which is a weird score, but you can see somewhere in that 14 point margin. Last year, UGA ended with a net overall score, number one in the nation, obviously, and Oregon ended with 24th, ended 24th in the nation in CBCR2. Our SAM model, which is not public yet, likes UGA by a similar number, 16.5 points. This is liable to change because Ross is still doing work on our SAM model. These numbers don't include uh, penalties, which is a huge thing. Actually, last year, Oregon was 112th in the nation in penalty flags a game at 6.36. So that could swing it either way. So we're not really sure on SAM. But I would say that overall, the numbers that we trust, even if they're less, slightly less advanced than Sam, tell us that this is a Georgia win by about 14-ish points. Coming in from last year, Oregon was sixth in the nation in offensive explosiveness, which was fueled by basically having an excellent run game. They were 50, they had a 52.1% success rate on third down, which was good for third nationally, in part because when they were rushing their EPA per game was sixth in the nation and their success rate while rushing was first in the nation. This was a team that could run the absolute hell out of the ball on offense last year. They were, because Anthony Brown is Anthony Brown, they had a pretty mediocre passing game, 53rd in total EPA, 57th in EPA per play, 57th in EPA per game when passing. But all of that averaged out last year, top 15 offense in terms of what they had last year. Now, obviously, like I said, with the departures of several very important players, I don't know how much that is relevant, but this is a team that comes back with a strong offensive line and certainly has had the identity of, of a team that can run effectively. They were also, because of that, a very effective run game. They were also highly efficient on offense last year. They had a 49.8 success rate over the year, which over the entire season, which was good for 10th in the nation. However, defensively, they were not great. 104th in the nation in finishing drives. They were they gave up 4.5 points per opportunity, which roughly means that you were more likely to score a touchdown than a field goal against this defense last year when you got inside of their 40. Overall, defensively, they were... 81st in the nation in total EPA, 72nd in EPA per play, 76th in EPA per game, and then 94th in success rate. They did not do a very good job of keeping opposing offenses from being efficient. And when opposing offenses got inside of their 40, they did not close the deal, right? So last year, this team was superlative on offense, far above average, top 15, top 20 offense, pretty bad on defense, in particular about in closing the closing the drive out in the maroon zone inside of their own 40. This is a team, like I said earlier, that qualitatively has a lot of talent. And even with the departures from last year, Oregon has a lot of talent coming in. But it is also a team that has not had the defensive identity that you would expect from Mario Chris, a Mario Cristobal team. And I think Dan Landing's first like goal is going to be to establish defensive reputation. This was a team that had Kayvon Thibodeau, one of the highest rated NFL prospects in the nation, and still did not have a defense that could close the deal, right? You would expect that a defense with, you know, the best rushing, uh, the best rushing prospect in the draft would end up with better numbers in general, but in particular would end up in better numbers on third downs and inefficiency, but they didn't. So, I would expect that UGA's offense can move the ball against this defense. Dan Lanning is certainly a very good defensive coach. He will have a very good plan against UGA's offense, and he has a high level of familiarity, obviously, with pretty much every aspect of this program. But I don't mm -hmm. think that this is a team that has the horses or the infrastructure in place to run with UGA's offense across the entirety of a game. I would expect that when what these numbers kind of tell me is that when Oregon has is on their play script, right? The first two drives of the game. I suspect that Oregon will have some success offensively because as we 
have said several times, Dan Lanning is intimately familiar with how you with how UGA does defensive game plans. I think that once we get off the play sheet, off the play script, where we're actually calling plays and adjusting, that you're going to see UGA take over this game. But I don't think this is going to be a game where UGA holds Oregon under 10 points, right? I think this is a game where UGA can probably, you know, hold them under 25 or 24 and win the game comfortably. But I think there are definitely going to be some drives where we, where we see some unfamiliar, uncharacteristic surrendering of yards and points from this UGA defense because it's a different defense, right? Yeah. So that's that's my stats picture. What what do you want to see in this game? So we, we, we've kind of had our qualitative preview. Here's sort of all of the big nebulous factors that go into the game. We had our quantitative preview. Here's what the numbers tell us. So now what do we want to see? What do we expect to see? What would we like to see going in? I think I would definitely say that I would like to... I would definitely like to keep Oregon as inefficient as possible and, and keeping that success rate down, as you said. And, and I think that that's partially going to happen with the our secondary kind of showing up and going off. Like there's a lot of question marks through our secondary. You know, there's some some folks on the defensive line, but uh, that we already know. And so we already kind of know what we're getting out of them for the most part. But a lot of people have been questioning the secondary. And so I want to make sure that when they take the field on next Saturday, that they are showing up and kind of changing, changing that narrative a bit for their own sakes, but also for our sake as the audience. What is something that you want to see? Let's do a little bit of trades back and forth, huh? I think we have to weather the storm. I think the offensive play script, I think Kenny Dillingham is a decent offensive coach. And I think that the offensive play script against UGA's defense is going to be good, right? I mean, Dan Lanning doesn't just know in general how UGA game plans defensively. He knows the specific foibles, strengths, and weaknesses of pretty much every player on this defense. And I would su- mm-hmm. I would suspect that with the number of new starters that UGA is going to have defensively, and with the intimate knowledge that Lanning has, that Oregon's going to score, score some points in the first quarter. I think that I'm not saying that you know UJ is going to be a 10 point hole, but I do think that, especially if Oregon gets the ball first, we're going to see an uncharacteristic amount of vulnerability from UJ's defense. So I think you just have to kind of weather the storm. You have to get mm-hmm. Auburn off, or Auburn, Jesus. You have to get Oregon off of their play <laughs> script, right? You have to get past those first 22 plays or whatever their pre scripted plays are, and then make some adjustments mm-hmm. to what they want to do. What else do you want to see? I want to see Desmond Howard eat his words and also my shorts. And what I mean by that is just hearkening back and echoing echoing my first point about this defense. It is going to take a step back if you're sitting here comparing it to last year's defense, which is an unfair and unrealistic expectation of any team to do again. Uh, We saw a a once-in-a-generation defense uh, last year, and that's not going to be the case. But I think that what we're going to see this year is going to be a similar level of talent, obviously, but also... How do we how do we reload? How do we re-engage this team, especially with somebody new at the helm? Um, and and how does this team adapt to that change? And so I, I'm excited to see what is going to happen next Saturday uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. What about you? Hit me another one. So I think that we got to stop the counter, right? Like that is that is the mm-hmm. bread and butter play of Kenny Dillingham's offense and has for a long time been the bread and, bread and butter play of the Mike Nordevel offense. And I think Oregon has enough talent on the offensive line that they are going to be moving linemen around and they're going to be pulling. And you just have to have a defensive line and a, and a set of inside linebackers who know how to fill gaps and how to pick up swinging linemen. So you stop the counter, you stop the offense, I think. What about you? I'm going to need, if I'm going to make it through this season relatively unscathed as far as just my my mental well-being goes i'm going to need to be able to talk about a different kind of narrative other than just how much less we are compared to last last year so what that means for me in this game is i want to see uj's offense have an identity for itself without having to sit talk about the defense in the same sentence because there's so many articles and so many talking heads that are discussing and debating about how UJ's offense was never that good, and then it rode on the coattails of the defense. And I think it's it's important to talk about them both in the same sentence to an extent, but I want UJ's offense to exist on its own. I want it to go out and spread its, its beautiful wings and show us what it can do, because we do have a lot of depth on the offense. If this is the year that <laughs> sixth-year, 24-year-old Stetson Bennett does go off because it needs to be the year that he goes off because it's his last chance to quote unquote go off. Let's make it happen. Let's see it. I want to make it happen. I want him to to have a great last year and and ride off into the sunset as Georgia's once and future governor or whatever. <laughs> uh, what else do you got? For future state senator 
and insurance agent <laughs> Stetson Bennett. He's been protecting your rates for decades. Yeah, you're in good hands with him. Good small hands. Anyway, <laughs> so two things. One is short, one is long. 13 personnel. Let's just do it. 14 personnel, 15 personnel. I don't care. Zero, eight personnel, whatever. Stetson Bennett and every tight end on the roster. Let's do it. Get it. Get everybody out there. Pierce Sperlin, get, get the freshman out there. Let's go. I, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I'm very interested to see the way that Eric Gilbert gets utilized. You know, when you have this many tight end threats, you sort of have an incentive to get as many of them on the field as possible. I expect that we're going to see Brock Bowers pretty regularly flexed out into basically what is the slot wide receiver position. I think we're going to see a lot Mm -hmm. of inline blocking and seam work from Darnell Washington because that's sort of sort of been his ouvre the entire year. And then just in general, like I'm just Eric Gilbert. and, And I know this has been said about a lot of players, but Eric Gilbert really is a special player and not just in terms of his talent, but just in terms of what his profile is. He is a big dude who is fast. And I know that's like yeah. an oversimplification, but he's like 6'5", 220 or whatever, and he can run, but he also can block. So do we see him at the flanker spot? Do we see him split out wide? Do we see him in line? Do we see him as an H-back? Like, I'm just really interested in where on the field we see these tight ends. Because if you are Todd Munkin, you have sort of a multitude of options in the tight end room that it's going to be take some creativity to get them all on the field. The second one that I would have yeah. is I think they're just some players we want to watch. Like Zion Logue, I think, is really the key. If Zion Logue is not even Jordan Davis, but if Zion Logue is 60% of Jordan Davis, you're going to have a good year, right? He's a little bit smaller than Jordan yeah. Davis. You would like to think that he might be on the field a little bit more just because uh, he's carrying around a little bit less weight, but he is your quintessential nose tackle. And the way Georgia has run its defense schematically over the last few years has sort of all revolved around easily stopping the run with only four to five players in the box, right? And sometimes only three players in the Mm -hmm. box. So that really starts with Zion Logue. I think another important thing to look at is whoever stops, whoever starts opposite Jamon Dumas Johnson at inside linebacker, whether that's Xavier Sori or Smile Munden. Another thing that has been the rock upon which Georgia predicates its defense is the ability for inside linebackers to basically control the defense, QB the defense, and react to run stunts and all sorts of different defensive wrinkles, right? And so the scuttlebutt out of camp is that Dumas Johnson has like sort of a a pretty tight grip on one of the inside linebacker spots, and he has more experience than everybody else. But, you know, who is going to step up beside him is a really important question. Next, Dom Blaylock, finally healthy. He had two knee injuries on the same knee. But when healthy, Dominic Blaylock is one of, if not the most talented wide receiver on the roster. And he is a guy that is going to be hard to take out the field. So I think just seeing what number eight does will be an interesting preview for what the whole season looks like. Also, you know, Dylan Bell has had a lot of good scuttlebutt about him, not to overuse that word, but uh, he's a freshman wide receiver, has a mix of speed and sides <laughs> of speed and size that is not replicated really anywhere else in the wide receiver room at UGA. And I mean, I'm not saying he's George Pickens, but just in terms of like physical spe- specimen, height, weight, you know, profile, he is the probably closest to George Pickens. So seeing what Dylan Bell does and if he gets on the field is also interesting to me. So with all this being said, I guess this is all coming to the end of the episode where we now predict what the final outcome of this game will be. Do you want to share a little bit? I think we're, we're actually pretty close as far as our predictions go. Mm-hmm. My final prediction for this game is that it's going to be, like you said, it starts out where Oregon is going to get theirs in the very beginning, and it's all going to be about how we adjust. Because Dan Lanning knows how this team works in and out very intimately, and so he's going to get his. And so it's all going to be about what we see come out on the field and how we adapt to those changes, how we make the changes that we need to see. And I'm very excited to see if this team will mesh immediately out the gate, because there are a lot of players who have already spent a lot of time on the field together. And it's just going to be exciting to finally do it again and to defend the national championship. But my final prediction for this game is Georgia 35, Oregon 17. What about you? I think that Oregon is going to score more than we like in the first and second quarters. I think that especially post Mm -hmm. halftime with the adjustments that UGA can and will make that we are going to have good success in containing them. I think we're going to see some the good and bad sides of Bo Nix, right? I think Bo Nix is going to probably mm-hmm. lead a pretty efficient drive against this defense and we're all going to be gnashing our teeth. So I would I would encourage you in the first couple of drives with this new with this new look Georgia defense to just relax, take a breath. 
I think ultimately that Georgia has more talent than this team. And, you know, one of the core heuristics that we've learned in modern college football is that the team with the most talent wins, right? And so ultimately I'm not worried in the sense that I think we're going to lose this game, but I do think that this is going to be a game that feels closer than we think it will because Oregon's going to have some success early when they are on their play script that they've had months to develop against this team that they know so well. So I think this is going to be a one touchdown game going into the half. I think that it is a game where Georgia figures some stuff out coming out of the half and ultimately lands 35 to 21. I feel like this is maybe like a one touchdown game until the third quarter when Georgia, you know, scores another one and kind of figures out what they're doing offensively. I could see mm-hmm. this being closer. I could also see this being a big blowout. Ultimately, just like every time Bo Nix plays offense, this is going to come down to, do you see good Bo Nix or bad Bo Nix? Good Bo Nix can keep this game close. Bad Bo Nix will throw two interceptions and, you know, will win by 28 points. But I think we're going to probably see a mix, and that leaves me at a 14-point min. I think we're going to see a lot of very good things out of UGA's offense and feel a lot better about it. But I also think we're going to see some growing pains on defense. I think those are all good things to say and all good things to look forward to. (laughs) Do you want to see us out? How'd that feel? Did that feel like a podcast? It felt like a podcast to me. And I'm I'm happy. Against all odds. I I feel such good, positive energy. You know, I think Justin and I have gotten on the same page. Your two dads, we sat down and we had some some couples therapy and we made some changes and we feel really good about our relationship, you know, and I feel like that this is this is our first manifestation, right? This is our first family outing where everything went well and we weren't mean to each other mm-hmm. and we kept the kids entertained and everyone should feel good about that, right? So I think Nathan has some things he needs to unpack. <laughs> Look, Nathan is a child of divorce like- and knows how to use that analogy intimately. <laughs> This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here today, we would love if you give us a rating review on either Apple Podcasts or your podcaster of choice, or if you just harangue and harass your friends who like UJ football and those who don't. Also, we are an equal opportunity employer here uh, to listen to this show. Carve it on a tablet, put it on papyrus, yell it from the mountaintops, give us a rating review. If you would like to see more of our stupid thoughts and feelings, you can find us on social media at Chapel Bell Curve, pretty much anywhere you can find us social media. We are on TikTok. We currently have one video that is just a video of the Redcoats, but we're going to try to improve. We're going to try to get interns. It's going to get better. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Chapel Bell Curve. If you really loved what you heard here today and you'd like to contribute to the continuing existence of this podcast, please, please, please hit us up on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. As little as $1 a month gets you access to an excellent Discord and gives you basically a dating service for like-minded people. It's like a platonic dating service for (laughs) UGA fans that think the way that you think. And I think that you'll enjoy it. We'd like to thank Ross Rutledge and our friends at the CBCR2 project for all of their numbers today. We also had some numbers derived from the Athlon preview, so thank you to Athlon. The people who help us out with our numbers include both Ross Rutledge and Stephen Shduin, Stephen Joyner, and Ryan Moore. We would like to also thank all of our excellent Discord patrons and people who are listening to us live, as well as both of our spouses and families. We will catch you in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium and or Dragon Con and or the Classic City this next week. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs.